Hello and welcome to the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Donna Cleveland, Editor-in-Chief at iPhone Life. I'm David Averbach, CEO and Publisher. Each week we have the best apps, great gear, and top news in the iOS world. And David has a sponsor to tell us about before we jump into the episode. All right, well today's sponsor is a fun one. Um, Donna, the, do you ever, I'll do this sometimes where I'll walk around my house and I'll just like listen to music or a podcast on my phone as mm-hmm. I'm walking through the house. Mm-hmm. So, and the reason why I always end up doing that is all things being equal, I don't love having headphones in, right? Like Around if, the house especially. Yeah, like yeah. if you're around a lot of people and you don't want to be rude, you put on headphones. But like all things being equal, it's nice to not have headphones on. But like, even though I have AirPlay speakers, I don't like switching as I go as I'm walking through a house because like if I'm like cleaning the house, I'm walking all over. So this is a perfect solution for that. It's called the Sound Caller and it's a Bluetooth speaker that is literally like a collar on your shirt. Um, You just kind of put it over your shoulders. It looks a lot sleeker and cooler than you would imagine in my description. So go take a look at it. Um, But it's a great solution for any time you, for if you're someone who doesn't love having headphones on, but you want to be able to have some portability with sound. If you want to be able to use it as you're working out um, or as you're uh, walking through your house, either getting ready in the morning or doing uh, uh, cleaning the house, whatever. It's very affordable. It's about 80 bucks um, and it's a fun product. So make sure you check it out. Uh, we will link to it in the show notes. Uh, it's also called Nomoto Soundcaller. It's available on Amazon, so make sure you check it out. All right. Next, we want to tell you about our iPhone Life Daily Tips newsletter. This is our free daily newsletter that teaches you something cool you can do with your phone in less than one minute a day. So head to iphonelife.com slash daily tips to sign up. I wanted to share with you my favorite tip this week. We actually talked about this in the exclusive insider section of our podcast a couple weeks ago, but we haven't talked about it for everyone else. So I want to tell you about it. <laughs> That's how to drag and drop your cursor with iOS 13. Oh, yeah. So when you are editing text on your iPhone, whether you're in the messages app or in notes or mail or whatever, um, when you have your keyboard up and you're typing, if you make a typo or if you want to add something somewhere where your cursor current is not currently, you can now press and hold wherever your cursor currently is and you'll notice that your cursor kind of pops out, enlarges under mm-hmm. your finger, and then you can just drag and drop it wherever you want to place it. So it's it's a nice feature to have as an additional way to move your cursor. Depending on what you're doing, it can still be useful to use the old way, which I'll also tell you how to do, and that's to press and hold the space bar in your keyboard and then move your finger. Basically, your keyboard grays out and becomes a trackpad and you can move your finger uh, around and your cursor will move and then you drop it wherever you want to drop it. So for insiders who have known this for a couple weeks, yeah. we promise to check back in on your usage. Which it's of the true. two methods are you using? So it's funny because the last time we were talking about this, I was saying I think the new way is way better. Uh-huh. Um, and that's because... I feel like it makes more sense in some ways like to it's like you're picking it up with your finger and moving it and that's nice. And you're like pointing to exactly where you want to go. Yeah. Which is logical. It's intuitive. And just really quick to back up to um you can always move your cursor too. You can just tap where you want your cursor to go, but it's not as useful when for when you want to make a correction within a word because when you do that it's just going to place it before or after a word. It won't be so precise that it will move it within 
a word. Mm. Uh, so that's like the that's where you want to use your precise cursor movement either. Which, Either, which is yeah, oh, sorry, with either ahead. of these methods, yeah. yeah. Which is always when I want to do it because it's I, I have a typo <laughs> and I'm trying to fix that typo and it's rarely the first letter that I mess up. It's like somewhere in the word and I'm wanting to go and correct it and it used to be actually surprisingly hard to do that. Yeah, it could be so annoying. Yeah. So um, I actually have been using the old trackpad way more often and that's just because when I'm typing, my fingers are are lower on the screen on the trackpad already, mm -hmm. like. I have to move my hand further to go find the cursor, place my finger and move it around. And usually my, you know, if my fingers, if I have my thumb right over the space bar anyway, and I just press and hold that, it's actually a little faster. Yeah. Well, and that was my hypothesis. That was your I hypothesis. I don't want to brag or anything. Yeah. So the moral of the story, David's always right. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that a use case that I found myself using this way for is when I'm... When I'm responsible, when I'm a responsible texter, I read my text message before I send it because, mm. you know. Advisable. Typos. Advisable, yeah. yeah. And sometimes I don't and I'm lazy. But when I do, that's a good use case to me for this cursor method because I'm sitting there and I'm reading the text and it's easy for me yeah. to like line the cursor up. But when I'm mid-typing and I catch a mistake, my, thumb, my thumb's kind of already at where that space bar is and I find that to be quicker. So it is nice to have both. Okay. More of yeah. the story is we're both always right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just nice to know that you have more options, more control, and, you know, everyone uses their phone a little different. So I think it's nice when uh, Apple comes out with different ways that suit different people. Yeah. Um, okay. Next, I want to tell you about our insider program. We have a premium subscription for our for everyone who wants to get the most out of their iPhone and iPad. And it's, if you go to iphonelife.com slash podcast discount, you get $5 off your annual subscription. And this is just a really awesome program. If I do say so myself, we have in-depth video guides. So if you get a new iPhone or iPad, you'll have a resource of information to help you set up your phone. We, we like take you from beginning to end of how to use everything on your device. We have guides for different built-in apps on your iPhone. We have a new iOS guide that comes out every year that teaches you how to get the new, how to use all the new features like our iOS 13 guide, for instance. We have, uh, aside from these in-depth guides, you get a one minute video tip every day in your inbox that teaches you something you can do with your phone. You get a digital subscription to iPhone Life magazine, including we have 30 past issues that you get access to as well, and exclusive version of this podcast without any ads and with exclusive content. Also, you get Ask an Editor, and this is a really nice feature. If you run into any roadblocks with your tech and you're getting confused, you just email and one of our experts get back to, will get back to you and help solve you help you solve your problems so go to iphonelife.com slash podcast discount to become an insider today i do want to put in just a quick personal plug on this we are contrary to what some people believe are not at all affiliated with apple mm -hmm. we are a small independent publisher iphone life is is our only title we spend our lives helping create educational content to make you to help you use your iPhone and iPad better. And so, you know, we put out a lot of free content for you guys and we really appreciate you taking time to listen to it. If you're enjoying it, we really appreciate you taking time to support us. And this is an easy way to support us and you get so much additional educational content. You get this huge archive, over a thousand videos, 
so many guides. So we really appreciate it, not only from uh, hoping we help you, but also in helping allow us to continue educating everyone on iPhones and, and how to get the most out of them. Yeah. Thanks, David. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> so we have some news we wanted to talk about today. Uh, David has a smart home. He has set up a lot of different devices, and he's talked about it on this podcast that you might know. But there, there's a lot of different smart home devices that work with Alexa, that work with Siri, that work with Google, and it can be a bit confusing to set up and figure out. And you had some news related to this? I do. And it, the, it's kind of early days, so it, I, I'm not exactly sure how this is all going to play out. But one of the frustrations of smart homes as it stands today is – Really, what you want to be able to do is you want to be able to have all of your devices connected to each other. And so, in other words, when I walk in the door, I want to have my lights turn on. I want to have my heat adjust to the temperature I want. I want to have my door automatically unlock. I want to be able to say, hey, Siri, turn uh, Hey, Siri, good night, and have it adjust everything in my house. And the way that that works right now is through HomeKit, which is on your iPhone. Um or it works through Alexa on your uh, Amazon Alexa, or it works through Google Home on your Google. The problem is these three companies, their uh, methods of connecting devices don't talk to each other. So a lot of people who have homes have both Alexa devices, they have HomeKit devices, they have Google devices, and you either need to set up all of your devices across all three of these, or Sounds they're annoying. not going to be able to talk to each other. So if somebody has an Android device in my home, it's really hard for them to do anything, like turn on the light. Uh, which, of course, if you have smart lights, it's like the way you turn on the lights. <laughs> <laughs> so the news there is that they seem to be working together on a universal standard. So that you then, hypothetically, and again, this is, hasn't actually come to fruition yet in terms of... Uh, actually being able to do this but hypothetically down the road if you set up a device you'll be able to set it up one time and use it for alexa use it on google use it on siri and so then you'll be able to leverage as a consumer it's really exciting because google especially as an iphone consumer to be honest uh oh my gosh uh siri <laughs> was just dictating everything i just said uh we were just talking about this before the show how i love my home pod as an ability to control my home, my smart home. But HomePods are really expensive and they're not portable. So you have them in one place in your house. Mm -hmm. um, whereas Alexa is now building Alexa, Amazon, I should say, is now building Alexa into everything. And so I literally have everything. literally everything, <laughs> a microwave. They now have smart plugs uh, that have Alexa built in. My thermostat has Alexa built in. And so you can now, be able to have, you can have Alexa devices across your house, you could have a HomePod, and you could have Google devices, and they could all work together so that you set up a device one time and you can use it across any of those. That's so much nicer. I'm really excited about it. I don't know when this will actually come to fruition. This is something that Apple, you know, the tech companies do pretty frequently. We don't really think about it very much, but something like Bluetooth works across all of our phones. It's because mm -hmm. they have a universal standard. Same thing with, you know, Qi wireless charging. It'll charge an Android phone. It'll charge an iPhone. It's because the companies agreed on a universal standard. So it's it happens frequently. I'm really excited that it's happening for smart homes, and I think it'll 
it'll allow us to really take a large step forward in terms of smart home functionality. But it's early days, so we'll keep you posted on it. Yes. Um, all right, for apps and gear this episode, I wanted to talk about the DJI Maverick Pro drone. If you listened to last episode, <laughs> my dad was uh, joined us to talk about 5G because he's an internet service provider. He's also just a huge tech enthusiast. And in our insider section, he talked about the DJI app. But I just wanted to talk about you going out and flying the drone with him and how awesome it was if you have $1,500 to spare that you want to <laughs> spend on a drone. Um, it's just, I think that drones are really cool if you can justify finding ways to use them, which he's able to use them as an internet service provider. But what I wanted to talk about today is just uh, vid videography and photography that you can do with drones and how awesome that is. So the DJI drones, they I think the cheapest drones about $1,000. So they are high end. And there's like a reason they're so expensive though. Flying this drone, first of all, it was just amazing to me how steady it was able to keep yeah, uh, to keep the drone in order to get really nice footage. It has like four little, um, it's kind of like a little, little helicopter <laughs> wings that it lifts up on. It's kind of loud actually. Um, and it can go so high. Like it was basically, I like couldn't see it. It was just a little dot in the sky by the time it got up there. And it's cool because through the app on your phone, you can see exactly what the drone is seeing. And, uh, my dad got some really awesome footage of RAGBRAI. I don't know if you've heard of it, but that's the mm. annual Iowa event where people ride their bikes all the way across Iowa. People come from all over the world and it's pretty crazy. It's like mid, it's like 100 degrees in July and people are drinking beer all day and riding their bike across Iowa. <laughs> but anyway, he went and got footage of people, aerial footage of you know thousands of people biking through the Iowa countryside and it was just really beautiful. He also was able to make some really neat um, marketing videos for his company with them. So there's a lot of uses you, you probably could justify buying one for those reasons. But I think it's just, it, it, it records 4K video and takes 4K photos. But uh, I think it's just a really fun toy at the least and can have some cool applications. And I, can I contrast that? Yeah. Uh, my stepson got a drone. <laughs> it probably cost about 20 bucks. Ah. I, it was a present, so I don't know. It's so annoying. <laughs> we spent like an hour trying to get this stupid drone to take off. Oh, really? And, and it would go, and then it would just immediately flip over and fall on the ground. Oh, no. Or it would go up, but then it would start to go too high. And because like you don't have good controls, I'm like, we're going to lose this. I have no idea like where in town this thing's going to land. So I'd panic and make it crash. Um, and so, yeah, it's like hard. The like You take for granted for these high-end drones like how difficult it is to get them to be stable, yeah. easy to control, highly usable. Um, I want one so bad and They're I have really cool. no good reason to buy one and I don't have any justification to spend $1,000, but they are really cool. Yeah, I mean, you could. I'm sure my dad would let you try yeah. his. One thing I will say is it's still there still is a learning curve even though they are really nice. Like when I was trying to take some video with it, it was kind of jolted, like... I would jolt it forward and then stop. And then I wasn't, like, it takes no. some time to learn how to do that sort of like smooth motion that's following whatever you're trying to follow that he's, you know, perfected after 
playing with it a bunch. So there, if you still, there's still some skill involved. Mm. If you're wanting to get something that looks professional, yeah, right, your first time, it's probably not going to. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> cool. Um, so let me tell you about my app and gear, and I brought it in. So if you are uh, watching the video, I'm holding it up right now. It's called the Hyper Juice, and I've had this for about I don't know, probably almost a year now. Uh, but somehow I sort of forgot about it and I just recently took it to a conference with me and I love it. So mm. here's what it is. It's a battery pack. So, okay, we all know what battery packs are. We all have them. But what makes this one particularly unique is that it has a few things. Um, the main one is that it has 133 watt output. What that means is that you can charge a laptop. Oh, wow. And it also has rapid charge. So you can charge it in like an hour. Uh, and then you can power a laptop for, I don't know how long, but it's like a few hours. That's awesome. Uh, you could charge an iPhone for like, first of all, you could rapid charge an so iPhone. So you can charge the battery pack in an hour. Yes. Okay. You can charge the battery pack in Not an hour. Not the laptop in an no. hour. No. <laughs> um, but you can then use it to power your laptop for a few hours as you're using it. Uh, it also, you, I mean, you could charge an iPhone probably like 10 times with this thing. Uh-huh. Uh, That's awesome. It powers an iPad as well. Uh, is and you know you could rapid charge an iPhone, and so there's a lot of things that normal battery packs can't do. You and you can do all three of those at the same time if you want. So ah. it has three outputs, so you can charge your laptop, your iPad, and your uh, and your iPhone all at the same time. That's awesome. Um, and for a travel day, this seems like it would be amazing. It's yeah, and it's really nice for. Things like conferences, where you're at a conference all day, and if your laptop dies, you can't take notes, you can't show people the things you wanted to show them. And it's awkward, like usually the coveted seats in any conference room is like right by the adapter, but there's not enough for, wall adapters, but there's not enough for everyone. Yeah, well, <laughs> and exactly, and I started taking this to coffee shops for that exact reason, so I don't have to like fight over like the awesome. seat with the plug at the coffee shop, and same thing at the airport. I don't you're have to fight me. over. Okay, I'm glad I convinced you, because let me tell you how much this cost. $200. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it is not cheap. Feel it. It's heavy. Oh, it's it like is a heavy. Brick. Yeah. But, you know, Sarah, we are at the conference and she had an iPhone charger that was like, could charge your iPhone five times or something. And it was about this size. And it was, you know, it was a little bit lighter, but not that much lighter. So the, the, so like what you get, the usability better. of this, being able to charge your laptop, being able to charge your iPad in addition to an iPhone, like being free to go to coffee shops, airports, and not have to fight over not, you know, there's all those commercials of people being like slaves to like the outlet and just like huddled over an outlet. We see it at CES every year. Yeah. So there's a lot of benefits. It's really expensive. So you got to be able to justify it. But, you know, it's not a $1,000 drone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the budget item yeah. for today's podcast. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Next week, I promise, we'll have some real budget items. But I've been really enjoying this. Um, I will, I should mention, they used to be a sponsor. They are no longer a sponsor. This is not a sponsored review. But I like to let you all know when, you know, we make sure we label everything that's sponsored. We tell you that up front. Um, yeah. This was not sponsored. But they did used to be a sponsor, which is how I got this. <laughs> yeah. I have an app I also want to share today, and that is 1Password. I've probably brought it up before. And for the most part, I've actually switched over just to using Apple's uh, password management, and that's really nice for Safari, using it on my um, – like using the suggested strong passwords when I create accounts in Safari, and it'll autofill auto for me, and that's really nice. Um, but – one password has been sort of the legacy password manager I've used in the past. And uh, 
recently I needed to look up my car, how much I'd paid off on my car loan and also student loans. And I was like, look, all panicked that I wouldn't have that information anywhere. And it was just so nice only needing to know one password to log into one password because you just have a like one password to rule them all Mm -hmm. to get in. And having all these accounts that I created a really long time ago and would have no way of tracking down otherwise or no easy way and having all the information I needed right there. And so I just can't recommend having a password manager of some sort enough. I think it's really um, crucial. I know so many people who just can never remember any passwords at Mm -hmm. all. And anytime they're trying to access stuff, it just becomes this whole nested problem. So I recommend getting a password management, or I've also heard good things about Dashlane and there are some other LastPass, but 1Password's a good one. I also use 1Password. I really enjoy it. I keep, it's so interesting though, because like as iCloud Keychain, which is Apple's built-in password manager has gotten better and better, Mm -hmm. I keep kind of using that as my default because it's so baked into the operating system. It's easier when I'm creating passwords to just do it through that, Mm -hmm. but it's not as functional as OnePass because of what you're saying, where OnePass can work on Chrome, it can work on a on a laptop that's not a Mac if I want. Um, also, OnePass can store other data that's valuable, like your social security code or mm-hmm. um, your credit cards or your like all sorts of different things. But now I sort of have this fragmented world where I have I'm managing passwords across both of them. Me too. And I don't know a good solution to that. Apple does pretty good in that it does, when I go to enter a password, it says, do you want to use iCloud or 1Pass? So it's kind of built into the operating system that way. Um, but it's it's a little bit fragmented, but I they both have their pros and cons enough that I find myself using both. Are you in yeah. this world? I use, so all my new passwords and accounts are saved in iCloud Keychain with mm-hmm. Apple's system. Uh, but because I used to use, there's still a lot of older stuff in one password that I, you know, there's still accounts and information that I need. So that's where I go to for all my old stuff. And when I'm on a computer, I can kind of do both. Like I can create a password in iCloud Keychain and then one pass will pop up and say, do you want mm. to use this? See, I don't do that. And I'll say thing. yes. But on my phone, I can't do that. So if I create a password on my phone and then really when I get into trouble is if I have a password on both and I don't know which one's the right one. Yeah, that happens. It's not the best. But like, I mean, I know David and I have both switched to Safari on our Macs. And also use Safari on our phones. And that, you know, if you do that, then pretty much you should just use Apple's password management because it'll pop, the right thing will pop up in Safari every time. Whereas if you're using Chrome on your laptop and Safari on your phone or vice versa or whatever, then you're, that you run into problems. I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, I feel like as much as I'm complaining about it, I feel like the solution to having both is sort of where I've landed as being the best case scenario. Because there's so many pros and cons to each. Mm. One thing that drives me crazy about um, iCloud Keychain is the way they handle credit cards. Now, if a, if a website handles Apple Pay, it's like my favorite thing ever. And I get all so excited fast, yeah. and it's so fast and so easy. But I hate the way iCloud Keychain and Google also does this, do credit cards because they save the credit card. But then in order to use it, they ask you your CVV number. Yeah, and, and I never, I never know it. it. And I'm someone like we've talked about on the podcast before. I you I play the credit card game a lot to get a lot of miles. So I have like t- 
10 credit cards and I don't have them memorized. So it's basically like I might as well not even store the credit card. I know. One Pass doesn't do that to me. It doesn't? No. Oh, that's a good perk. So it does like there there are reasons, people. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I do definitely first and foremost make sure you have a password manager. My partner's not very good about this. She can never remember a password. It really? drives me crazy. Wow. Um, so don't be like my partner. <laughs> use a password manager or be like Don and I and use two of them and then get really confused. Yeah, it's it's better than the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to make the question this week, what app or accessory do you think we should be trying? Oh. I feel like it would be nice to branch out a little bit and try some of the apps that we might not know about that our listeners are, list- are using. So email podcasts at iphonelife.com with an app or accessory recommendation for us. Help us help you. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, this actually wraps up our episode for this week. We'll, uh, insiders, of course, stick around and we'll have our section just for you. And the rest of you, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.